Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. This week we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. Pastor Joel is preaching his message on Ephesians chapter 1, One Story. Tom did a wonderful job last week opening up the book of Ephesians uh, for us, and we're going to uh, continue that uh, series this morning. Um, but I'm gonna, I actually invited uh, Jennifer, if she would read uh, 3 through uh, 14 for us this morning. But I just want you to, to let it wash over you. Uh, I had a commentary that I read this week that said Ephesians is really theology put to melody. It's a movement of the Spirit as it's unfolding. And there's so many details and so many points that we could think through. Uh, but my encouragement, even to us this morning, as we start diving in, is just let the, let the theology of Ephesians just wash uh, over you. Okay, Jennifer. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the, pra to the praise of his glory. Amen. God blessings to his word. Thank you, Jennifer. That's actually all just one sentence in Greek. Uh, there's so much there. Let's, let's just stop again and quiet our hearts and pray one more time. Lord, as we approach your text, um, words that were inspired by the Spirit and written down by Paul um, to a group of believers that were wrestling with what it means to be in you, to find their faith in you. Um, Lord, we believe those words are still active and alive, and we pray this morning that as we slow down to consider these words, that the Holy Spirit would make them alive, that you would open our eyes, that we would see what you would have for us this morning, you'd open our ears, that the words, as they even flow out, would, uh, would hit us differently, and that our, our hearts would be changed, that there'd be... Um, would be touched and moved and cut to the heart uh, so that we can know and love you even better as we leave this morning. And Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, this is a, it's quite a beautiful opening uh, at the book of Ephesians as Paul almost sets this theology to, to music or, or melody. Uh, Paul, as we know and we heard last week, Paul had it all. At one point in his life, he had power, he had position, he had authority and influence, he had a bright future, uh, he had a career, a blossoming career. I'm sure most people around him would have been, Paul, he's going to go lots of places and he's going to make a huge uh, impact. But in the letter to Ephesians, we uh, actually fast forward the story of Paul and we will find him in, in chains, in, in prison. He's given up career, uh, he's given up family opportunities and rights because he found something way more valuable. Something that as he opens the letter to the Ephesians, he wants to share with each of you. Something that he has found that's so much more worth it. Uh, but before we get there, I actually want to set the message up like I normally do uh, by sharing a hobby that I had. And if you're a child in the 80s, you probably did this too because it happened all the time in uh, the 80s. Is baseball card collecting. Any of you collect baseball cards? Yeah. Uh, so we collect baseball cards, and for me it was 1987. Uh, 1987 Topps baseball cards, those were like the cards that we, uh, I was 10 years old, and we collected those cards all the time. Uh, here's how we would do it. We'd collect a little bit of money, we'd go to the local grocery store, and there we would buy these little packs of cards. Now in these little packs, there were 14 cards and a piece of bubble gum. Uh, that piece of bubble gum, if you remember, it is not really a piece of bubble gum, it's hard as a rock, and you never ate it. You'd always just throw it out. But I still remember, even opening up those packs, I still remember what the smell is like. It's this, this paper and like weird bubblegum uh, mixture. <laughs> 14 cards. And the goal of what we were trying to do, me and my two brothers, is we were trying to complete a whole set. So 330 cards in a set, all the baseball players, uh, Major League Baseball players of that year, 1987. And so we'd go to the store, uh, we'd, we'd earn a little bit of money, and we'd say, ooh, I get enough for a pack. So we'd go to the store, buy a pack, and we'd open it up in hopes of uh, one of two things, uh, hopes of finding cards in that pack that we didn't have already, or finding cards that were really valuable. Uh, so then we would trade cards with each other and with some friends as well, trying to complete that, that's uh, the whole set of things. But you wouldn't just trade one for one. It wouldn't be like a Bo Jackson for a Wade Boggs. Uh, kind of thing. It's not just one card for one because they did, had different values of all these cards. But depending on who the player was on top of it, they even had a book. And if you were collected baseball cards, you knew this book. Hey, Beckett. Totally. It's a Beckett book that listed every card and the price for all those cards. So that as you were trading someone, you, you could, you'd know the value of this card versus the value of of that card. For us, in 1987, the gold card, uh, the gold cup card, the one that everyone wanted was a Jose Canseco gold cup card. That's it right there. I can still picture it in, in my head because that's the card you wanted. In 1987, now hold on to your hats, in 1987, that card was worth a couple dollars. <laughs> but for a kid that like spent 50 cents for a pack of cards and you get a Jose Canseco card, you're like, yes, jackpot. And so if you wanted a Jose Canseco card, and, and they were hard to come by, uh, you would have to trade a lot of cards in order to get it. Or you had to be an older brother that knew how to swindle your little brother out of cards, which 
I did, and I've repented of <laughs> since then, but it's still a sore spot in our family. You can ask my brother. He still holds a little grudge <laughs> that I got the Jose Canseco gold, uh, gold card. Uh, that card I would have traded all kinds of cards for. That card was like the surpassing worth of a Jose Canseco gold card. That, that's where it was at. I traded all that time uh, to do odd jobs, to earn some money, go down to the store uh, to get a pack. So I traded my time and my money. I even traded my relationship with my little brother to get that Jose Canseco card because it had this huge worth for me. Uh, now, most kids or most young people don't trade baseball cards anymore, but I, every year I'm reminded of it at Halloween. Uh, because our kids will get candy, and then they'll set up these stores, and they'll set up uh, these like stores of how to trade this, this candy. And the candy's not a one-for-one -one trade, because there's a certain uh, aspect of candy, the king-size candy bars that are in a whole different league. So you don't trade one Tootsie Roll for a king-size candy bar. That's got to be like 50 Tootsie Rolls, because of the worth of the king-size uh, candy bars. They, they will trade for what you think you can get more value or worth in your life. And as adults, we do this too, don't we? Uh, we, we trade our time, we trade our, our money, we'll even trade uh, relationships or careers to get something that we think is a little bit more valuable or, or they'll add worth to our life. Well, Paul, Paul, as he uh, is born to this uh, very well-to-do family, is given these skills and this knowledge and this insight and opportunities and open doors, he's been given this like wonderful hand of cards, He's got power, skill, opportunity. He, he's got it all, and yet he'll trade all of those cards for one card, to know Jesus. In Philippians 3, in verse 4, he says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I've got it all. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So as we come back to the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to open up his letter, and you can just read it in the words of the opening, that there is this surpassing worth in knowing Jesus that he would give up everything for. In this first chapter, we really only see, uh, we, so Jennifer read the first, uh, the first sentence, and then we have one more sentence, even though it's like 20-some uh, verses. It's only two, two sentences. So we're going to look at both of those uh, sentences or sections uh, separately. We're, the first one, we're going to see the worth of the story as it comes out in this praise uh, that Paul gives. And then the second part is going to be this prayer. It's a prayer of, of worth, a, a prayer of opening your eyes so they could see the worth, that you could reprioritize where, where your values lie. So the worth of the story and the prayer of worth. So let's, let's look at the first one, the worth of the story. Uh, he, he wants you to know three things. Three things in the story that, that have such surpassing worth for him that he would give up everything. Uh, here's the first one. To know the worth of the triune God. To know the worth of the triune God. The, the God that, that Paul understood 
was this God that was three in one. It was one essence and three persons. Now, I'm not going to try and unpack the Trinity uh, this morning, but I do want to show you uh, how it's reflected uh, in this passage. If you have a Bible, and hopefully you're open there, because I, I want to point out some things. It's uh, Ephesians 1, so it's on page 917 in your pew Bibles, if you want to take a look. I want to just point out a few things within in the text. Uh, verses 3 through 14, they're actually divided into three sections. And you see it by this little uh, ending line uh, or this like um, doxology kind of at the end of, of each section. Uh, you see it at, in verse 6. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then if you look down in verse 12, you'll see a similar phrase, to the praise of his glory. And then you'll see that again in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Uh, the way that Paul has even set up this one uh, sentence has got three sections with, within it, to the praise of his glory. Now, if you're, if you're not familiar with church or you've been around for a while, praise of his glory, it sounds very churchy, uh, and we're, but what's it really mean, to the praise of his glory? So let me just slow down and, and let's, just, let's think about these words, to the praise of his glory. A praise means to ascribe or give someone worth or value. To someone or something worth or value. Uh, it's to say that's, that has a higher worth than, than this does. So if you're praising the glory of God, you're ascribing value or, or worth uh, to the Lord. Glory then comes from the word meaning heavy, but not like heavy, like I'm feeling a little heavy, need to lose some weight. Uh, although it could mean that. It's more of this idea of significance or it's a weighty matter. It's important. So to ascribe the value or worth to the importance of the Lord. That's to the praise of his glory. To say the worth of, of Jesus and the story of God is of greater value or worth than anything else. To know him. And Paul sees this, this worth, this praise of his glory in three ways within this uh, first sentence. Three, focusing on the, the Trinity. You'll, you'll notice if you read it that each of them have a little bit different uh, focus. The, the first one in verse three, you, you would see, uh, has the focus of the Father. You're looking, looking at the Father, and what the Father has done is he has adopted us as children. He has taken those people that were outside, that didn't belong, that didn't have anyone to love on them, and he's saying, I'm adopting you, I'm bringing you in. The, the Father has adopted you. In verse 7, you would see it, the, the, it changes to the Son, and the Beloved, the Son, who, who has then redeemed us. He has brought us back. We were once in slavery, but He has paid the price to, to purchase us back. We have been redeemed. And then finally, in verse 13, you see the focus goes on the, the Holy Spirit, who has sealed us, who says, I got you. I'm not going to let you go. I've done the work, and so it, there's nothing you can do that's going to, to, make, to make you fall out of grace with God. Uh, so then in Paul's understanding of the worth of the Trinity then, he, he sees it in three ways. And he goes, uh, the Father has adopted me, the Son has redeemed me, and the Spirit has sealed me. The, the Father, he's loved me, he's called me his own. The Son has shed His blood so that I can be set free. The Spirit has, has sealed me and marked me so that I am His and always His. And in Paul, knowing that, 
goes, that's worth more than anything else. I would trade anything to know the worth of the triune God, to be known and loved and redeemed and sealed. Well, here's the, here's the second thing that Paul wants you to know. He wants you to know the worth of a greater story, the worth of the greater story. We know the, the triune God and what he does, but he also connects it back to this uh, greater story. In this opening, even, it, it, Paul would say it's not about, uh, it's not about you joining um, it's not about Jesus joining you on your small story, but it's about you joining a greater story, a, a story that's been told from uh, creation up till now and will be in the future. Um, so we often, at least I did when we were younger, we'd often say, okay, you need to, uh, we pray and ask Jesus into our hearts. Uh, and, and that's that's an okay thing to do because as the Spirit comes in, He does come into you. But I, I think there's uh, a little bit different um, perspective that Paul would say. He says, it's not as much about you inviting Jesus into your heart as much as it is about uh, Jesus inviting you into him. Uh, and I, I was thinking about that even this week, and the idea of us inviting Jesus into our hearts, it's almost like we're making Jesus a little bit smaller to come into our story. Like, Jesus, would you come along as I have these wonderful plans for my life? When really Paul is like, no, 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 you're the small one here. And you get to join into this beautiful, grandiose, amazing story that God has been unveiling and unfolding since creation. You can be part of that story. Uh, Look at what Paul says as the good news of of this greater story. He he says it uh, multiple times. In verse 3, he says, It's this idea of being in Christ. Verse 3 says, you're in Christ. Verse 7, in Christ. Oh, sorry. Verse 4, in Him. Verse 6, in the Beloved. Verse 7, in Him. Verse 9, in Christ. Verse 10, in Him. 11, in Him. 12, in Christ. And 13, two times, in Him. You know, I think oftentimes we settle for the story. The story is about me. And I invite Jesus to my story. Lord, make me whatever. When really Jesus is like, no, you're invited into me. And in in doing that, you have a much bigger identity, a much bigger story that you are a part of. Everyone then who has been redeemed in Christ is part of the same family. You're given a much greater identity. The story is so much bigger than you. It's actually about a community of people in Christ, functioning and loving this community of Jesus followers out into the world, redeeming the world and rescuing the lost and broken. And Paul would say, knowing that I am in Christ is worth giving up everything else for. Any any story that I thought I was going to have for my life, it's worth giving up to be found in Christ and in this greater story. To know the worth of the greater story. Here's the third thing. To know the worth of the mission or the purpose. To know the worth of the mission. To know his purpose or mission, Paul would give up everything. You know, Paul studied the Hebrew scriptures and was really good at it. But even in studying all those like Hebrew scriptures, he, he missed it. Until that one day when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and everything changes. 
And he sees this story that God's been unfolding, this great, grander story that he gets to be a part of, that, that Jesus would actually invite him in to be, belong to. And then all of a sudden he sees the mission or the purpose or the worth of it all. There's, there's one mission and one purpose, and it's the redemption of all mankind. So I want to go back a little bit in the story. Because God creates Adam and Eve, and sin comes into the world, and God's going to redeem the world. He still has a purpose and a mission. And so he chooses one guy and says, through you, I'm going to bless all the world. Uh, he chose him. He, he predestined him to be an instrument of his grace and mercy that would come through his line. Uh, in Genesis 12, we have this. It's the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12 and verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth. God chose Abram for the purpose or the mission to bless all the families. He's been chosen then, not as like an exclusive, I'm in and you're out, but as an instrument of God's grace to the world. You're a priest now. Go tell people. I've chosen you because through you and your line all the way up to Jesus, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. It reminds me of uh, like when it's the last couple of days of, of class, you're in school and the teacher brings like popsicles and it's great, everyone loves it and they, they choose one person, Don, come up here, I want you to uh, pass out all these popsicles to the students. I've chosen Don for a purpose to pass out all those popsicles. Uh, it's not just because Don's better than everybody. It's because Don's been given a mission or a, a purpose. But if Don comes up and goes, oh, these are just my popsicles, it's like, oh, you missed it. You missed the, like, the blessing. It's not because you're better than everybody. It's because I've chosen you to be a, a blessing to everyone else. Abram's cho chosenness that the Lord chose him was not an inward thing, like, oh, you're in and everyone else is out, but it was, it was a missional or a purposeful thing. God chose him uh, because Jesus would come through his line. He, he chose Abraham, and then he chose Isaac, and then he chose Jacob, and he chose all of them because Jesus would be coming through their line. Uh, everything back all the way to Abraham was chosen because of Jesus. And I know it's like trippy in your mind, but they were chosen because Jesus would come through their line. And then everyone after them is chosen because you found yourself in uh, Jesus, not because you're better or worse than anything. And if you're in Christ, you've been given a purpose and a mission. Here's just one more verse, Deuteronomy 7, 6, uh, talking about this of Israel, about their chosenness to the rest of the world. He says, for you are, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. I chose you for this mission, not because you're so great. So, so join in the mission and the purpose of being a blessing to all the nations, uh, sharing about this Christ to everyone. 
Now, when we return to Ephesians, we see Paul picks up on those same ideas and same words and language that we, we hear. They're chosen for the benefit of another. Ephesians 1 in verse 12 uh, says this, So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also... So, so first we have we, who are the first in hope in Christ, and now all of a sudden we have a you also, a, a group of people who heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We, we have this group of people that are actually fulfilling the mission or the purpose that God would have for them to be priests to the world. The, the first to hope in him, at a macro level, would be Israel, the first to hope in this Messiah, this, this, this king that was going to come that would reign and rule uh, for the Lord, the first to hope in him, and given the mission of the blessing to all the world, to call them to the relationship. And then all those who are now here and believed because of that message, so, so the Jews and the Gentiles now are all together. And this is going to be the story of Ephesians, the mystery of, of the oneness of these people. The whole goal of God is as he's, as he's unveiling his, this mystery or this beautiful purpose in the book of Ephesians, we find in verse, in verse 10, it says to unite all things in him, to unite all things in him, both Jews and Gentiles. Chosen for a mission and a purpose. So if you, if you are found in Christ, if you believe in him, if you heard the message of, of Christ and received this salvation, you've been given a, a purpose and a mission. It's just not for us. It's for us to be a, like lights on a hill, like a, a kingdom to the world. Chosen for a mission and a purpose. So, so that God in Christ wants to use you as well. Well, that mission, knowing that mission, Paul would give up uh, every other mission that he's had to follow the mission uh, that God had given him so long ago in this greater uh, story that he's been unveiling. And that mission then motivates Paul uh, to pray. This is the second part of uh, Ephesians 1, to pray that they would see the worth like he has, that their eyes would be unveiled to see the worth of knowing Jesus. Let me read this second sentence. Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, for everything we just talked about, for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, the triune God who has adopted, redeemed, and sealed us, who has called us to a greater story than just one of our own and given us a purpose and a mission. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward this, all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers." And then he will tell them, this is what I'm, I'm praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul ascribes this immeasurable worth to knowing the triune God, the purpose that he's given, this greater story, and he prays, I, just, I pray that you would see it too. I pray that you would see the worth of knowing Jesus. In verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that, that our eyes could see, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the workings of his great might? He prays that the eyes of their hearts, that they would be actually able to see, to see the worth and value of knowing Jesus through these three ways that he, that he states. Through the hope, through the inheritance, and through the power. Hope, inheritance, and power. I want to take a few minutes and look at uh, each one of those. The, the prayer for the hope. Pray that they would see the hope that they have. Now, this hope isn't like a, I wish. It, is, it isn't like I don't have any evidence or, or based on this. This is a firm confidence in giving your future to the Lord and knowing the, how the story is all going to pan out in the end. It's knowing the new heavens and the new earth that we're destined for. It's knowing that God will one day redeem and reconcile the whole world to himself. It's knowing one day that our bodies will be made new if we're in Christ. There's, there's a prayer for this hope, this security and certainty of the future. There's a prayer for an inheritance. When we think inheritance, we all, I think almost all of us automatically filtered into oh, when grandpa dies, he leaves you his old tractor or his old truck. That's the inheritance we have. Somebody dies and gives you, gives you something. Uh, and, and somebody does die here in, this, in the story of God, uh, but it's, it's not like he's leaving what's the leftover that's like a broken down car or something. It's actually spoken of uh, much differently. The prayer that they would see the inheritance it's not money or things passed down to them, but it's actually in the Bible it's spoken of as the people of God. The inheritance is a people of God. In Deuteronomy 32.9 it says, But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. Uh, Jeremiah speaks of this. He's speaking to the idolatrous uh, people in, in this section, but he'll call Israel his inheritance. Jeremiah 10.15 he says, they are worthless, so these idols, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. In the Bible, if you think of inheritance, you're thinking of the people belonging to God. And so here, as Paul's like, I want you to know this, the richness of this inheritance in the saints. In the saints. That it is the saints. The, the inheritance is the saints. And now you see that Jews and Gentiles are together. There's this unity among diversity. There, there's chosen, redeemed. There's this beautiful people of God that are God's inheritance. And he wants them to know, you belong just as much as anyone else if you're in Christ. It doesn't matter where you come from. 
The inheritance that God has purchased by his death and resurrection is his people. And he wants them to see, see the, the worth of this inheritance, of belonging to this, this people of God. The be, being in him, even, even greater than Christ being in us, which is important to know, but that we are in Christ, which means that we are part of this inheritance of people. And if you follow that out then, if you are part of this inheritance of people, it means the person sitting next to you that is in Christ, their story belongs to you too. Their history of their struggles with their, their past, their weaknesses, belongs to us as the inheritance of Christ. It means that we have a vested interest in one another. Because we are in Christ together, we are the inheritance. We have to care and love and concern for one another. But also, we're not alone. We get to see the worth of other people even more valuable than just our little selves because we belong to this inheritance of the Lord. And he wants them to see that. He wants them to see that you now belong this beautiful body of Christ that you get to belong to. It's worth giving up everything else. It's worth trading all those other cards for to get to know Christ and the inheritance that you can become in the saints. Well, finally, he prays for the, the prayer for power. He says, the greatness of his power towards us who believe. It's not your power. He's not praying, oh, Lord, make them be really strong. He's saying, Lord, open their eyes so that they could see the might of your power at work in us and, and through us to other people. It's not your power. It's not your power to be stronger or used for your own good. This is the power that he connects with uh, that raised Jesus from the dead. This is a power that is able to take what is broken and discarded and bring new life and meaning to it. This is a power that's able to take somebody that you look at and go, there's no way. And God says, yeah, there is. Watch this. Watch, watch the power at work through me to, to raise the dead to life, to take that addiction you have and, and to change it, to, to bring someone who, who felt like, man, I'm just an outsider and make them feel like they're one again, to take someone who has shame and guilt and go, through my blood and resurrection, it's been forgiven. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, that we could see that, that we could see people who are caught in slavery and been being able to be set free, to transfer from darkness to light. And through that, it says that, that Jesus Christ, the, the King Jesus, he's enthroned in the heavenly places. Uh, the heavenly places, whatever we can imagine those uh, to be, but that he's actually put uh, everything, all these powers. So, so I think like spiritual powers, earthly powers, he's put everything, all things under his feet. And then he says his church is his body. So, so if you, even if you could picture it in your head, if Christ is the head and his, uh, his church is the body and he's put everything underneath the feet, he, he's given us this like authority and power, right? But we're right here on earth. So it's like Jesus' feet 
on this throne are like firmly planted on the earth so that his rule and reign in the heavenly places far above everything is demonstrated through his church in the earth. The power. The, the power not to dominate and use it for our own good, but the power to, to serve and restore and redeem and speak good news of Jesus rescuing those who are bound in, in sin. He's put all things under his feet in the church's body. So we are the reflection of Christ's rule and reign on the earth. Can you imagine that? We? And which one of you is so great? But we're, we were invited to this much greater story than just us. Do you see the gift of grace that God has given each one of us? The, the, the good news that he's offering every one of us. Isn't it worth trading whatever you have for? Isn't it worth if whatever you think you counted for gain that you would be like, oh yeah, this is so much, this is so much better. You know, as a 10-year-old as a boy, I traded all that time and money and effort and even relationship to get that Jose Canseco gold card because it had surpassing worth for me. A couple years later, he gets accused of uh, abusing drugs, even sneaking drugs down in Mexico. His life's a train wreck. And the value of his card, you know what happened to it? Plummeted. Plummeted. Does anyone want to buy a Jose Canseco card? <laughs> I have one. <laughs> I should probably just give it back to my brother. <laughs> so that's, that's conviction. Like that's, I have to go up and find it. I'll tell you if I did or not, if I find it. Uh, all this, all this thing, this value and, and wealth and time, everything I would trade for this Jose Canseco card, and at the end it was really meaningless. And, and I wonder how many for us that we do that same thing. I would do anything to get this thing that's actually going to break and I'm going to have to throw away at some point. Or, or, or how many of us see the value and worth in knowing Jesus that... They're just driven to like, man, I, just, I, I want to I know more about him. I want to read his word more. I, I want to spend more time with him. I, I want to be part of this community. I want to serve so I can get to know him and get to know the, the stories of the people that are around me, this inheritance, this God's people all together that are maybe way different than me, have way different like a history or, or even status in the world, but we're all together as one. I would trade anything for that, knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus that won't fade or break or disappoint in the end. So where do you place your value? And what, what are you trading to get it this morning? Well, what would you say if you had a bunch of everything on cards, what would you say is the highest value that you have? What, what would you trade lots of things to get? And hopefully this morning, you, you, part of it would be like, well, I, I want it to be knowing Jesus. Lord, Lord, Lord help me in that. Desire. I want to spend time in his word. I want to spend time praying. And I think as you do, you would taste and see that the Lord is good. And you'd be like, oh, this is valuable stuff. I want to be in his word. I want to be in discipleships, relationships. I want to be uh, reading and in Bible studies and coming to church so, so that I can know more about Christ. This eternal worth of knowing Christ. And then taking that and being on the mission that he's given you, that you would invite others to the same end.
to know Jesus who will never return empty. Let's pray. Lord, I, I admit that oftentimes I place my value and worth in things that are uh, other than you. Lord, and I just pray uh, for all of us here that we would have a hunger and a desire to know you more. That we could, we could say like Paul, I would give up everything to know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. To knowing that I am adopted and redeemed and sealed. That the story is not about me or, or Hollyview Church or anything that we're even a part of it is about your glory and about the greater story of you redeeming all humanity. Lord, that we would be on mission with you to let people know that um, if they place their value and worth in anything other than you, it's going to fail. And there's going to be a, a just response by that to you, uh, from you. And Lord, but there's grace offered to anyone who hears the word and believes in you and finds their self in you. So Lord, will we be a church that finds our belonging in you, in your story, um, and that we would be on mission with you to tell that, to tell that story to people that we, we know and we meet, to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.